This is Popular Front, a podcast focused on the very niche and kind of geeky details of modern warfare with me, Jake Hanrahan. Today we're speaking to Vladimir Van Wilgenberg. I was going to have someone else on this week, but then President Trump in the US suddenly decided that he was going to pull all of the US troops out of Syria, which, you know, is a big deal. I thought you lot would want to hear about this. Now, Trump has decided to pull them out kind of rapidly. I think they're going to be pulling out in 60 to 100 days, which means big problems for the YPG, the Kurdish-backed forces in northeast Syria, also known as Rojava. The YPG are considered the best fighting force for the US to be allied with in Syria, fighting ISIS. Trump has said, oh, it's mission accomplished. ISIS are finished in Syria. That's not true. The YPG is still fighting ISIS in Hajim Pocket, still fighting ISIS in Deir Ezzor. So I got Vlad on to talk about the situation. He was in northeast Syria last week. He was in Rojava and you know he is Vlad is unapologetically pro YPG sure but this guy speaks fluently two Kurdish languages he's probably been in Rojava more than any other journalist that I can think of so I think what he's got to say is definitely relevant you don't have to take it on board but he will give you an idea of the situation that's probably going to unfold now that Turkey are very likely going to invade northeast Syria apologies the sound is bad on this but we had to do it quick and had to do it over the phone so Vlad, why do you think Trump has decided to do this now? So I th- think for some reason he felt like just let's just pull out of Syria uh, and get over with this mess and sort of ISIS is defeated and let it be the problem for Syria, Iraq and, and, and the regional actors, let them deal with these problems. Uh, but I think the reality is that the US credibility in the region will be completely damaged. And I think maybe it's a very wrong comparison, but it somehow reminds me when I was reading books about the Roman Empire uh you know when the roman empire was crumbling and i think we are basically witnessing this decision of trump to withdraw from syria i think this is like one of probably in the history books it will be one of the first signs of the decline of western influence in 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 the region and in the middle east and i think for russia this situation is perfect for assad it's perfect for iran it's perfect i think turkey thought it was perfect but i think for turkey probably a face withdrawal would have been better than a sudden withdrawal, I think, also is going to create problems for Turkey, actually. Why? What do you think is going to happen now? Well, I think the problem now is it's difficult for anyone in the region now to see what's exactly going to happen. Uh, and, you know, if, if the area of the northeast of Syria, of, of Rojava, will come under, for instance, Damascus control after an agreement, then basically all the focus of the Syrian government and the Russians will be on the Turkish-controlled zone. So there will be much more pressure on Turkey to do something about those jihadists that they were supporting in Idlib, and in other areas. Um, so I think it's, it's a very complicated situation also for Turkey how to deal with the sudden withdrawal because, I mean, even the Americans themselves, they didn't expect this to happen. You know, remember that James Jeffrey, the new Syria envoy, they had this policy to stay in Syria, to deny, uh, deny Damascus access to his uh, oil and gas resources in the northeast of Syria, um, to, to push Iran from leaving, uh, to push Iran to leave Syria. But this whole policy now is in shambles. Like, the West has no more policy in Syria, now it's done. All this fantasy about Geneva talks and whatever, it's done. Like, they have no more leverage at all after the US is gone. And I think it's also very difficult for the UK or France, which also have troops in Syria, to do something to stop this uh, chaos and uh, to stop this uh, instability. Yeah, it is. It is chaos. That is the right word. Um, we, like we were saying earlier, you were in you were in Syria in Rojava, northeast Syria, last week. 
what was the situation like? How did people feel? Were they kind of arming up because, you know, the, the troops, the Turkish troops were massing on the border? We, you know, no one was sure if they would invade or not, but surely they were kind of taking measures to stop that. Well, I mean, of course, the Kurdish fighters, they were massing along the border. They were checking uh, the borders if there were, because there were a lot of rumors that Turks were removing the walls. But there was never really any sign of that. But they were checking, the YPG was checking all the time the walls, if there was any changes. If the blast any, walls. No, not the blast walls, because the Erdogan built his own wall to keep the Syrians out of Turkey. Oh, the border. Uh, you know, yeah, like, he basically, before Trump, he built his own wall. I think Trump is probably very jealous of Erdogan. So, so basically, like, I feel like, you know, like in Tel Abiyat, Serikani, everybody, that's why I went to Serikani and Tel Abiyat at that time to see if there was any change in the walls. But actually, there was no sign at all. And when I was looking with my mobile phone, making pictures of the other side of the Turkish border in Tel Abiyat, the only thing I could saw was like a lot of vans of, I think, Turkish journalists. So there was not a huge sign. But the people in Kobani, they were afraid, you know, like less people were going to the shops. Uh, people were saving up more money just in case if they all become a refugee. So people were worried in Kobani, especially now in Syria, everybody's very worried what's going to happen next. Nobody knows uh, what the direction it is going to. Um, so at that time, also people are afraid. I mean, I remember a shopkeeper was complaining that he lost like two thirds of his customers because people were not going out anymore to buy a kebab in his place. So I think definitely that um, people were afraid. Um, and I mean, there was also a Turkish shelling before that, I think in October. Uh, one two months before that uh and then also people are afraid that turkey would invade uh so i think it's uh yeah that was the situation but then when i visited the border i saw not much was going on and there was not really a sign that turkey was going to invade but now of course we we don't know if there's going to be an invasion or not yeah well the, the turkish government said immediately we're going to bury the ypg in ditches yeah so now the situation is a little bit different, you know, so... Yeah. And what kind of chance do you think the YPG has against, you know, Turkish military if they move in? you think it would turn into a guerrilla war like in uh, in Southeast Turkey with the PKK? I don't know what's going to happen in, in, in Turkey, but uh, of course if Turkey is going to really attack uh, the Kurds of Syria, we don't know. I mean, it could be possible that, uh, that uh, there would also be fighting inside Turkey, but I mean... There was already a fight between uh, between the Kurds in Turkey and the, and the Turkish state, between the PKK and the Turkish state. So remember what happened to all those Kurdish cities that were destroyed in the urban warfare. So, I mean, it's not like, I think, I don't think PKK can do much apart from insurgent attacks. You know, they cannot really, uh, I mean, they can make it more difficult, the life more difficult for the Turkish army. But I think, um, yeah, I think it's difficult to say, basically. But yeah. the PKK could do that. I think they also, there was some Russian news report that's quoted a PKK official, but I'm not sure even if that report is true because Russian media is not very reliable often. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, bullshit going around at the minute. Um, that definitely that definitely makes me think of, there's this claim I keep seeing. People saying, oh, you know, YPG are threatening to release 3,200 ISIS prisoners. Now, to me, that seems outrageous. These are the people that, you know, raped and killed their brothers and sisters. Um, but Vlad, do you think there's any, any validity to that statement that people are coming out with? Well, what I was hearing from uh, one of my friends in Kobani was saying that the people civilian people so i'm not talking about ypg they're yeah. asking the ypg to return to the kurdish cities to vend them and to withdraw from raqqa and derzor and just leave all those isis people just leave them like you know like don't care about them leave them you know like who cares you know get rid of them give them to the regime let them go to isis do whatever they want right. but this is not like an official 
there's no official YPG policy or SDF policy that are saying that. Maybe there were some people that had this idea, but it, there's no decision like that, you know. Uh, but but I mean, like if the West is is dropping the YPG and they don't do anything to protect them, why they would not hand over these ISIS women and children and fighters to the regime, for instance? Why would they not just let them go back to ISIS? I mean, I don't I don't see like what 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 would be another like if they, for instance, will be forced to protect themselves against a Turkish attack, then I don't see why they wouldn't give them, for instance, to the regime or let them go or find another solution because they will need all the resources to protect themselves against the Turkish state. And I think if Turkey attacks, then there will be a very big chance that the YPG would withdraw Derezor uh, and Raqqa area and maybe leave local fighters there to protect the border uh, against ISIS. Yeah. Uh, so then it would be a very chaotic situation. And also it's very difficult for, there used to be a lot of NGO uh, workers in some Kurdish cities like Kobani, you know, like it was one of the most safest towns. You could have like a drink there, have a beer in Kobani, which is not possible in the areas under Turkey. I mean, of course, the regime, it was very difficult for foreigners to go there without a Syrian regime visa. So this was going to be all gone. Those foreigners, they're probably thinking of leaving uh, Syria. Uh, and actually the Americans, uh, American diplomats are working in the region. Like actually I already sort of got the feeling that something was going on because actually someone asked me, is it true that NGO workers are asked to leave the Americans? And this was before... It was in the Wall Street Journal before it was like in the media. I already sort of had the idea before that, that something was going on, something was weird, because I got like questions from people that heard that like Americans are asking the NGO workers to leave uh, Syria. Mm. Uh, so at that time, it was already a little bit the sign that maybe something was going on. And then an official asked me, so is this the same like what happened in, in, in Afrin when the Russians left Afrin? But at that point, there was a lot of confusion, and my Kurdish contact was saying, no, this is just NGOs, they're, like, very worried. Someone else said, maybe this is because of Christmas, that they're Americans, they go away for Christmas. But then, you know, it started to become more serious, and then the reports came out, and then, you know, all the chaos started. Yeah, um, I saw some reports earlier that uh, YPG, or PYD delegation, have gone to uh, to have a meeting with the re- with the regime in Damascus. What do you think the regime can even offer them at this stage? Well, the, the best thing that the regime, uh, the Syrian government can offer uh, the Kurds is to protect the border against Turkey. So if they would send troops to the border of Turkey to stop a possible Turkish attack. But that only works if Russia supports this, because otherwise it would still be possible for Turkey to attack. For instance, also what they could do, for instance, to have the YPG fighters or the SDF put like on a Syrian uniform and then as a sort of border force protect the border uh, for Damascus and also to protect the Kurds against a potential attack. But we remember that when Russia demanded the Kurds to hand over the Kurdish city of Afrin uh, to Damascus, um, and when, when Turkey was threatening to attack Afrin, if you remember that uh, stage, Mm-hmm. Um, then it was very, uh, basically Damascus uh, uh, demanding a full control of Afrin and that all the fighters hand over their weapons and everything uh, to um, to the Syrian army. So I'm not sure, I think Damascus is going to ask for a very heavy price um, for this uh, return. And of course, I don't think the Kurds will have any problem giving all the oil fields, gas fields, uh, uh, dams, uh, major resources, for instance, Ramallah, uh, a town on the border where there's oil, to give them to, to Damascus. I don't think they'll have an issue with that. But I don't think they want to have like a full return of the Syrian government back with the intelligence service, with military recruitment, arresting people for certain things. I don't think they want that. But I, I think the... 
like before when the Americans were still in Syria, like the Kurds had like a very strong negotiation position. Mm. Uh, but now, now it's I nothing. Think the situation is uh, now it's like almost nothing. So that's why this is like a major victory for Iran, for Russia. Um, I mean, this is like the complete destroy of the Western credibility in the region that they just leave their partners. And yeah, this is like a, a big turning point, I think. Are um, you shocked that this know. happened now? Well, I'm shocked because, I mean, some people say why you're shocked is because, okay, Trump, he wanted to withdraw, but there was like a lot of resistance, for instance, from uh, Mattis, from State Department, from the U.S. Army that saw the SDF and the YPG, one of the best partners they have ever, like they have ever had in the fight against uh, jihadists, like secular partners that don't shoot you in the back, like what always happened in Afghanistan. Um, so I think it was, it was a shock because like he just withdrew suddenly like, Versus like, for, for instance, he appointed the Syria envoy and the Syria envoy, James Jeffrey, said we're going to stay in Syria for an indefinite period of time until the Iranians leave and until we find a political solution in Syria. And then suddenly Trump comes with an announcement. He said, we're going to pull out from Syria completely. So Trump, he doesn't care about foreign policy. He just wants to focus on building his wall and focus on domestic issues in the U.S. He doesn't want to get involved so much in, in foreign wars. Um, so, yeah, I think... I think even Obama, he didn't want, uh, even President Obama, former President Obama didn't want to get so much involved in foreign interventions. But I think Trump takes it up a notch, you know, like he goes mm. even further. And also, I don't understand why some people are now saying that maybe this is going to mean there will be a war against Iran, because some people are saying that matters for sort of a balance uh, in the administration against uh, a more aggressive policy towards Iran. But I don't think that Trump would support such a thing to send now instead of because he's talking about withdrawing troops from Afghanistan, he's talking about, well, he's already withdrawing from Syria, so I don't think Trump is going to do a war with Iran or something. I don't know why people are saying that. No, I don't either. Um, do you, so, so also the France and the UK have said, oh, we're going to stay behind, you know, as part of the, uh, the global coalition against ISIS. But I, personally, I can't see that that will last very long without the US. I don't think it will be very, you know, useful. Um, but what do you think? What do you make of that? You know, France saying they're going to stay and the UK is saying they're going to stay. Well, it would be good if uh, European countries would take more responsibility to protect their interests. But I think it's going to be difficult because if there's no more US air power and the whole coalition, the whole coalition against ISIS is built on that, you know, like... The French and the British are very dependent on the Americans uh, in Syria to stay there, you know. So if the Americans are not there anymore, like how the French or the British are going to do that, like how yeah. they can do this by themselves. So I think it's going to be very difficult uh, unless they make, for instance, a decision to send much more troops to, to Syria. But I like there's a very short time frame and it's not that like France or, or, or UK, they are not like a country like Russia that is led by one person. They cannot just make a decision to just suddenly send like a lot of more troops, you know, like has to be like a mutual consensus between uh, the British Parliament and the British government and then in the France it's the same. It's not so easy. I mean, I think in the French, general, the French public is in support of the Kurds of Syria and they want them to survive. Uh, in the UK, I'm not very much aware about the public debate so much, uh, but um, yeah, I think it's difficult, like, unless they send, like, a lot of more troops and also support those troops with air power. Um, I mean, I'm sure also that the France, France have jets and the Brits also, but it's, it's going to be, like, very complicated because it's a very limited time frame. Um, you know, like, they're talking about 60 to 100 days. Mm. Uh, so, like, yeah, it's it's still up up in the air, you know. That's unless really not a lot be, of time. Like, 
Yeah, they're so like that's why if I mean everybody knew that Trump at some point would probably leave. Although some people were saying, "You look," they were also saying about Afghanistan they would leave and they never left. Uh, but I think that argument is now completely done because of Trump. Uh, but um, I think it's very difficult to see. I see like things changing. So like if, for instance, U.S. would have stayed longer for two years. Then there could have been maybe some deal with Turkey, have like a peace deal with Damascus or something like that. And the Kurds maybe could have got something out of this uh, mess. But now I think it's going to be very difficult. And that's why I think um, probably the best option the Kurds now have is, is uh, Damascus. But at the same time, today there are talks between the French president and um, two leaders. Uh, Riyad Darar and Ilham Ahmed from the Syrian Democratic Council, they're meeting uh, the French uh, president today. So we're going to see how that's going to work out. Okay. Um, I mean, I hate to be so kind of doom and gloom, but do you think this is potentially kind of the beginning of the end for, for the Rojava project in northern Syria? I'm not sure. I mean, it's not, it's not completely over. You know, like, they also have things to offer to Damascus, I mean. Uh, you know, like, um, they could actually, actually offer manpower to Damascus because all those SDF forces, for instance, they could be somehow integrated into the Syrian Arab army and they could, for instance, help Assad of taking back, for instance, uh, Idlib or Afrin or Azaz or Jarbulus from the Turks and the Jihadists. Um, so it's not full gloomy. There, there's still a possibility that, for instance, with Russia and Damascus, they can reach some form of agreement. But it's not like the, the, the same as in the past. They were, the autonomy would be very limited. Maybe the Assad... I think in the past, Assad... I don't think it's possible for Assad... I don't think he's going to make a lot of concessions. So I think it's the situation is quite gloomy, but still we don't know what exactly is going to happen. It also depends on negotiations between Damascus and, and the Kurds. And also maybe there will be pressure on Trump to stay uh, longer, but, but we don't know that yet, like things. But I think um, the situation is quite grim now for the Syrian Kurds. Mm. And I think in the region that mostly, most likely as it looks now that only the Iraqi Kurds until now, although their situation is also not perfect, um, to maintain their autonomy uh, in the region. And maybe you can give us an idea of what will happen if the Turks do invade like they say they're going to. What do you think will happen? Because, you know, Iraq really can't handle any more refugees. What do you think, you know, what's the worst case scenario? Well, I think if Turkey invade, there's probably going to be a huge uh, refugee crisis again. I think most of those Kurds will most likely not try to go to Turkey, but flee, for instance, to the Kurdistan region of Iraq. And the Kurdistan region already hosts like around 200,000 Syrian Kurds, so it will be very difficult for them to host more. I mean, I already talked to people that say if a major conflict happens, we most likely will try to go to uh, Iraqi Kurdistan. Mm. But it depends also on which areas they invade. If Turkey is going to really make this buffer zone all the way until Derik, or they just want to um, they just want to take like Tel Abiyad and uh, Mambich or something. So it's, it's going to be difficult to say, but I think if Turkey does that, it's going to create a huge crisis. And also I think the SDF and the YPG most likely will withdraw their forces from Raqqa and resort to focus on the fight against Turkey, uh, to defend themselves against Turkey. And in that case, ISIS would also be able to make a comeback there, a potential comeback. So that's why I think this argument by Trump that he defeated ISIS and ISIS is over, I think this is a big uh, paradox. It's like a big uh, idiocy, basically. So... Yeah, it is idiocy. Yeah. I mean, they're still fighting in Hajin. Yeah, they're still fighting. And the ISIS, they still have a large number of fighters, uh, a large number of fighters in, 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 uh, in their resort. You know, like, this is like a desert. It's not very easy to control that, you know. 
Uh, so they still have a lot of fighters in, in that area of that as well. Yeah. All right, Vlad. Thank you very much, mate. Um, is there anything else you wanted to add? Well, also, I wanted to talk something about is that also, you know, in the past, like a lot of journalists, they were going to Syria. And actually, Rojava, the northeast of Syria, was one of the few areas that journalists could go to without a visa, without much hassle. They would not be kidnapped. They would not be attacked. They would not have like a minder with them or something. You know, like you've been yourself to Syria. This is sort of sad that there were like some journalists that were always trying to undermine what was going on in the northeast of Syria. And now yeah. it's like gone. So I think it's also there are like some journalists that were very critical of the Kurds all the time. But they were not so critical about the Turkish-backed opposition that were always kidnapping, looting, and doing a lot of plundering in the area. Uh, so I think also this narrative like, should also realize that this narrative is there and that even people that were very critical of the Kurds, they were always allowed to, to enter uh, and to visit Raqqa. So the, all the time there was a visit, oh, what the Kurds are doing with Raqqa, what the Kurds are doing in Raqqa, how oh, they are oppressing the Arabs. And then they ignore that in Turkey thousands of Kurds, they are oppressed. They ignore that, like, the Kurds, and they work, like, give a lot of sacrifices to fight against ISIS. And now they're basically being dumped. So this is, like, a very uh, horrible situation. And a lot of the things that the rebels were doing, for instance, now in Afrin, you almost hear nothing about that in the Western media. But, for instance, if a YPG fighter would start kidnapping Arabs and ask for $500 per person, then I'm sure it would be a huge uh, report in some U.S. newspaper or like The Guardian or Observer or any other newspaper. So there was really like a, a huge lens, like a huge lens, uh, like exaggerating everything, small thing that happened in the northeast of Syria just because the Kurds were allies to the U.S. But if Turkey was doing something or the rebels were doing something, often it was like, like ignored. So that's the situation I think we are in. But now it will not matter anymore because... I remember I was in the UK Parliament talking about uh, the situation in Syria, and then someone asked me about what about the situation of Arabs in Derzor? Are they being discriminated against by the Kurds or something like that? But now I think because Trump is withdrawing, this like whole debate will be useless because now it will be under the masses' control, most likely. So we will see what's going to happen exactly. It's still very unclear what's going to happen. Uh, what a fucking mess. Um, Vlad, how can people uh, keep in touch with you on Twitter and what have you? Well, they can just uh, search my name on Twitter. I am um, uh, I am on VVAN. Uh, yeah, it's like my last name, basically. Mm -hmm. uh, so you can find me there on on, uh, on Twitter, and also I have a, a page on Facebook. So yeah, I'm easily to follow there if you search my name. All right, mate. Well, thank you very much for that, and good luck with the future. Okay, Cheers, man. Later. Bye, bye. So that was Vlad giving us a brief idea of what's at stake for northeastern Syria, for Rojava and the YPG now that Trump has decided to rapidly pull the US troops out of the area. To keep Popular Front moving forward, please go to patreon.com slash popularfront. Consider pledging there. Uh, I was talking to my friend about this the other day. There's been nearly 150,000 unique downloads since we started in May. And even if like a quarter of those downloads went onto the Patreon and were like, yeah, $1 a month, you know, probably the front could be a lot bigger. So if you like it, you know, consider it. Um, if you go to our YouTube, youtube.com slash popular front, there's a brand new dispatch on there. Um, we went to France, to Paris to cover the yellow vest protests and the police brutality, the anger, the riots, all sorts of stuff there. So if you watch that, you'll see that. Uh, please, if you like it, share it, whatever. 
This episode was sponsored by TheDefensePost.com, Defense with an S. It was also sponsored by Atlas News on Instagram, so that's Instagram.com slash Atlas News. To keep up to date with Popular Front, follow us on Twitter, that's Twitter.com slash Popular Front CO, or follow me, that's Twitter.com slash Jake underscore Hanrahan, H-A-N-R-A-H-A-N. The website is popularfront.co. I'm hoping to get a proper website up there with articles and all sorts of stuff soon. We'll see. Instagram is at popular.front. And thank you very much to the following people. We wouldn't be able to do this without your support. Those people are Anthony Kabarik, Axel Iverson, Casey Francis, Chad Walker, Cody Bergerud. Dan Dunham, Daniel Shearer, Darby, Diana Gorvanek, Emily Molly, Fletcher Tate, James from the Discord, Joanne Stocker, Joel Tambusi, Joshua Yabut, Lawrence Abrahams, LH, Margaret Bowling, Patrick Bronte, Peter McCormack from the What Bitcoin Did podcast, Ryan Sandercock, Scott Jonesy, Stephen Ardy Henderson and Zachary Hinch and all the friends on Willie at Discordy, thank you very much. Music in this episode, the intro was by Home and the outro was by Son of Old. Go to his SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash son dash of dash old. Son spelled S-U-N like sun in the sky. 